It's a remote first world for us. We are a remote first company by definition. We help people to hire remotely and build their, their talent pool in the most efficient way, looking at talent across the globe. So yeah, TNE is an important element as well. In the world of business finance, things change fast. Welcome to the Leaders of Modern Finance, a show where today's finance innovators discuss what the future holds. Learn from experts in the field as they explore emerging finance trends, insights, and more. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the leading accounts payable automation platform. With Stamply, collaborate easily and efficiently with invoice approvers, vendors, and anyone involved with purchases. This helps you quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com. Welcome everyone to the Leaders of Modern Finance. My name is Ben Murray, and I'd like to welcome Simone Nardi, CFO for Globalization Partners. Great to have you here today, Simone. Hi, Ben. Thank you. It's great to be here with you today. Well, let's kick this off. Before we dive into some of these questions, tell us a little bit about yourself and Globalization Partners. Sure. Look, as, a, as I'm CFO for Globalization Partners, we're a leading global employment and talent sourcing platform whose business is supported by scalable, purpose-built SaaS architecture supporting more than $1 billion in annualized billings. I joined the company in March and have been quickly getting up to speed ever since. As CFO, my role is to help chart the future of the business in addition to being responsible for the company's financial health. I'm involved in long-term strategic planning and helping the business to achieve in optimal operating leverage. Before GP, I worked for more than 20 years as a financial leader in multiple sectors, more recently at Fubu TV, where I led the finance and IR teams during the build-up to the company's IPO at the New York Stock Exchange that we completed in October 2020 and guided the public company as CFO until when I moved to GP earlier this year. Being a member of the football leadership team, frankly, was during such an important chapter of the company's history and, 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 uh, and evolution was an incredible journey, so very rewarding. Before Fubo, I held financial leadership roles at Script Networks Interactive, as well as NBC Universal. At Script Networks, which was the parent company of Full Network and HGTV, I led the international finance team that supported a rapid build-out of that part of the company's international business. In that role, I assume financial as well as other operational responsibilities for internationals. We work on many acquisitions, including $2 billion acquisition of the leading media company in country like Poland in, in Europe. I started my career in GE a few years earlier in Italy and had an honor and, a, and, a, and privilege of completing the company's finance leadership development programs, which helped me align my first CFO role back now in 2005. So a while back. Leading up to my current position, I've been I had extensive experience in strategic planning, accessing capital markets, investor relations, business development, as well as change management. And I've been lucky to have that, to have had that in companies of various sizes, industries, and complexity in the US in, and as well as international. Well, thanks for that intro. Yeah, great experience in a wide variety of industries. So we always like to kick these off. We like to talk a little shop, a little finance and accounting shop. So tell us about say your stage of your business, what you can disclose there, whether it's funding, employee size, revenue, but let's, mm -hmm. before we roll into your steam, team structure, so let's get a sense for kind of the size of globalization partners right now. Yeah, so we're not been providing a lot of information externally, but there are plenty of analyses like the recent Nest on hold that kind of put ourselves together with other companies of similar focus and in industries. What I can say definitely is that in terms of our volume and size, many competitors have been public recently, quoted 100 million in net revenue or ARR. I can comfortably say that we're much larger than that and growing fast. So it's a good company. We crossed the 1,000 employees earlier this year. 
we had more than 1,000 customers, and we also hired a lot of talent globally to support our customers. So the, the volume of people that we work with and we employ is actually much larger than our own employees. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So big size company, it sounds like maybe greater than hundred million revenue over a thousand employees and customers. So tell us you're right. You're the CFO. So tell us a little bit about your team structure. What departments roll up and report to you? Yeah, that's a great question, Ben. So I'm responsible for all the company's primary financial functions with the way I organize are on five pillars, including accounting and controllership, FP&A and analysis and business intelligence and the treasury tax and investor relation as well. So those five pillars cover more than 100 people on my team located across the globe as in many continents and many countries. And the interesting thing is that, is that given the nature of GP's business, our customers rely on us to help build out their global finance teams. So in addition to supporting the company's more traditional internal finance operation, my team also has a direct hand in supporting that service customers. So we're kind of sort of productizing the finance team expertise, if you will. Oh, wow. So yeah, the, so the teams, you've got accounting, BI, FPA, FPA, treasury tax, but also say you have over hundred staff, but you're also, I, I could say like monetizing that staff. They're also say client service facing then as well. Correct. A lot of customers come to us to help them to expand their business and employment and employees in talent pool globally. We help them to do that. We hire people for them. We help them to understand the complexity of the different jurisdictions that you can do business in and hire people and talent in. And in doing that, clearly, we provide HR, legal, compliant, and finance support. And as we service all of that, we clearly rely on the finance team, the HR team, the legal team that we have in-house to do that also for our customers at very high quality levels. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's definitely a different take. I mean, so do you have then employee staff on your team that are dedicated towards client work? They don't say, all right, I've got to close the books and now I've got to go help client. Are they dedicated to one or the other? Correct. I mean, we're trying to optimize the structure and situation is a bit of a journey, but ultimately you have talent and people that can work across both the internal as well as the external facing, the customer facing service and support. And other roles are specifically dedicated, but still rolling up under the same structure. So for example, building and payroll for us, as well as for the customer is managed through the structure that reports into my controller and ultimately to me. But there is a segregation sometimes, a separation in the teams so that we can actually have reaction time for the customers at the right level. And one last question here, because it's really interesting. Now, does that change your hiring strategy when maybe they're focused on internal operations, but they also have to have maybe those client servicing skills as well? Yeah, look, I mean, we don't have a lot of, uh, so the structure on the customer service and, and support include and touch the finance team as well, but you are not the front facing in that relationship. The important point as always, when you hire people is to have the right people on the seats, have people with international experience, the knowledge to manage multiple situations and understand different jurisdictions we operate is important for us internally, for our employees, as well as for the customers. So it's very similar. It definitely put additional stress or focus or input on the benefit of having a global, uh, diversified employee mm-hmm. employees team. Yeah, that makes sense. So sizable company, I'm guessing your board wants some pretty good numbers, pretty good handle on where your business is trending. So how often do you meet with the board? I assume every quarter, maybe also monthly, I don't know. But then also, what are those key metrics, key numbers that your board wants to know about to to stay updated on your progress? Yeah, so we have a very great board. They're very invested in the company. They're really supportive and it's a great place for it to be. 
We meet monthly. That's good and bad. No, it's great, actually. <laughs> give that visibility and continuously expand the story and the narrative with them. There's so much going on so quickly. It's always great mm-hmm. to kind of keep people appraised and in the loop uh, regularly. Now, clearly, the quarterly meeting are a bit more structured and, and larger, but we, we spend a lot of time updating the board regularly. And naturally, we want to share these broad measures that tell us the business is performing overall in terms of growth, operating leverage, the balance sheet strength, and the customer retention and satisfaction. Those are the more the, the four areas that we really like to focus a lot. Mm-hmm. And pretty much the usual metrics that you're used to kind of hear, like ARR, net revenues, EBITDA, gross margin, LTV, operating cash flow, and so on. So all the metrics that you can imagine boiled up mm-hmm. to the right level to make the narrative relevant for the board. We're also focused on operating leverage metrics to track how successfully we're growing the business, the efficiencies that we're achieving and generating as we spend to capitalize on a quite sizable, we think, market opportunity. So we are a company operating in a relatively new environment and mm-hmm. sector that we have to create if we didn't lead maybe even. Uh, and that clearly gives us the chance, the ability to kind of invest strongly to kind of take advantage of the white space out there. We want to do it efficiently and smartly, and we want to kind of have the right level of metrics to help us to do that. Yeah, so it makes sense. Your size, not a surprise. A lot of metrics here, balance sheet strength, customer retention, CSAT, ARR, operating leverage, et cetera. But tell us, obviously, everyone's pretty familiar with quarterly board meetings and those structure, but not everyone meets monthly. So what, for the finance leaders held out there who may want to improve their board reporting, board communication, what do you guys, do you have very specific points on your monthly agenda? Yeah, so the monthly is probably more of a more financial update with the key initiatives, notice if there is anything specific you want to raise. The quarterly is a more expanded operational as well as quarter focus and, and a reforecast focus. Clearly, we reforecast every three months. We don't do that every month, even if clearly we keep a close track of how the business is performing and evolving. So frankly, the important point is to ensure on a monthly basis, especially that you don't spend all your time just updating the board, but you run the business as well. So what we're trying to do on that is kind of really put a framework, a structure that I know and discuss with the board and the board members to ensure that that's what they care about and they think about it as important. And uh, have that set of information updated, but kind of fitting a certain framework that we all feel like is relevant and interesting for that discussion. And then clearly ad hoc topics that we can drill down on. A lot of that actually is also to ensure that we don't just pop up once a month, but if we have something that we want the board to know, we cannot let them know also in advance and we can connect. So we, we prepare a bit of conversation so that when we get there, we're also more uh, more focused on an efficient conversation. Mm-hmm. The other point is always prepare in advance and have uh, try to get to the ability to kind of share the document so that the board can read it, so that the conversation is not going through a, a deck or, or, or a presentation, mm-hmm. but it's actually knowing that people already read it, really go down to the key points, force that conversation, because I think the board is great also in providing a lot of potential help and insight to or advice sometimes as well to management. So it's good to have that transparent and, and broad conversations. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that insight because everyone, yeah, quarterly, pretty common, but not everyone has those monthly. So maybe some great tips and tricks in there. If you, if you want to implement a monthly routine, that's not just, yeah, reading out the board deck every time. So appreciate that. So let's talk tech stack, big company, your global remote. So tech stack probably key as far as your operations and efficiency within finance accounting. So tell us what powers that as far as accounting, maybe forecasting, budgeting, just tools that are critical to your tech stack. Yeah, because of my old days, I'm a big fan of integrated systems, automation processes, efficiencies that drive scalability. Ultimately, especially in a SaaS company, but in general, in a growth company, you want to drive a scalable structure in every function, including clearly finance. 
Of course, the ERP is the backbone of the financial reporting, and frankly, more than that. And we recently launched Workday to manage our ERP as well as HRM activity across the enterprise. And that includes clearly accounting, connect with analysis, and other financial controls and functions. So ERP is, uh, is very critical. And designing that, ensuring the information is posted in the system properly, and the sub-ledgers talk to the ledger and consistently coordinate and integrate with each other is, is critical. So you have a right level of understanding without forcing the team to do a lot of side work to prepare the information you care about. We also rely on cloud-based business management and financial planning software like Anaplan for Rep&A, Cariba for Treasury that we implemented recently as well, and others. So I think there is a big benefit, clearly, uh, to ensure that the automation support the team and help the team to operate in the most efficient possible way. I think the key in, in all of these is to make sure that all the tools that we are using are integrated properly maintained and coordinated for an accurate and consistent and connected data flow. Ultimately, all these systems are as good as the data they populate them. So that's a very important part of the implementation and, uh, and analysis. Okay, interesting. And now I, one other question on this, with a remote workforce and I'm sorry, global workforce, what about just the block and tackle of say travel and expense reporting? Any systems mm-hmm. there to, to automate that for all your employees around the world? Yeah, so actually, we, as, as we expand it now into, into Workday, we're starting to use that more for that purpose okay. as well. We migrated over time. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a remote first world for us. We are a, most, a remote first company by definition. We help people to hire remotely and build their, their talent pool in the most efficient way, looking at talent across the globe. So yeah, TIN is an important element as well. Good point. Yep, yeah. So let's dive into your experience and career because brought different industries, great experience over that time. So tell us about some of those key lessons or experience or maybe even pivots in your career that were really important or maybe switching from company to company. So tell us any, what are those key lessons that the finance leaders out there can take some notes on? Yeah, look, I mean, I think for me, it's been a very interesting career. I started with GE in Italy of all places, and then start to kind of move through the different opportunities that the, the structure of the company, having all the different divisions offer me, and, and really mature and, and make the most experience I could of every single opportunity. So I work in the US, I work in Europe, in different places, in Australia, in Asia, and with people coming from very different background and, and experience. So that was definitely something that in every interaction, every conversation helped me to kind of build an additional level of, of thinking and, and understanding of how you can work efficiently and effectively in person or remotely with people with different background as well as, as expertise and, and experiences. I think clearly as you saw in my career evolution, I landed the first CFO role in business development and MBCU in New York in 2005. From there has been a, a continuous opportunity in learning and building division, expanding scale operation or launching new businesses like the television studio in the US uh, to kind of get ready, looking at the full PL, not just the PA size that often when you're a divisional CFO, you get stuck mm-hmm. into. But I really get the luck to kind of see as international CFO in many roles, the full responsibility, the full business. And I think it's very important when you do that to think strategically, to think about how the operation works and be really part of the, the business operation, not just be with yourself and your team uh, in a corner running up analysis and, and, and data and numbers. Really being a, a partner, working closely with the strategic side of the business as well as the operational side of the business, frankly, taking on sometimes the strategy yourself. I think has been a very rewarding, a very interesting, and very fun. Clearly, the additional steps to was back in 2020 when I joined Fubo, becoming the overall CFO for a company that was scaling up quickly and drive them into a very quick process to become a public company traded in the New York Stock Exchange and managing that as a CFO for, for ever since mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a public company CFO 
until when I decided then to move here to GP in a, in a more recent past. And I saw in your profile experience, maybe it was at Scripps, key part of a $2 billion acquisition. And I'm just curious your perspective, because I've been part of acquisitions, not that big, but something of that magnitude, what for the finance leaders out there, I mean, it's like, it just doesn't seem like you can diligence every nook and cranny of, of a company that size, but what's important when you're taking on a large acquisition? That's a great question. I think when you look at a target, you only need to understand what you are able to get out of that merger, out of that acquisition, and what you're going to be able to build on top as a company and be very clear with internal expectation, as well as with the team that you're going to absorb in your organization of what can be done and what is realistic and, and exciting to look for. I think the size is important, clearly put more or less pressure. Ultimately, the critical step is to understand what are the opportunities for synergies, not on the cost side only, but frankly, on building something that allow the combined company to be much more effective and therefore the acquisition to be accretive for the acquiring company. I think an important step is to ensure that the integration is a, a very, very critical point. Mm-hmm. Ensure that you get the right team, coordinated, connected, working through transparent conversation and communication on what we're trying to get, ensure that you set up realistic expectations and you continuously measure. Again, I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm a big believer in framework processes help to structure and improve everyone's life in a, in a job. And I think that's really the secret there. I mean, ensuring that you understand the business well, the due diligence is important. No surprises, is always best. But really work on the integration with the right approach, get people on board quickly, ensure the cultural connection is sometimes is overseen, is oversight. It's very important that actually the company can click and that the new company feel like it's part of the company that acquired the product company pretty quickly in the process because that will help to ensure everyone is properly pushing in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You think about, oh, you know, sigh of relief, you close the deal, but now even more work starts with the integration. It you know, totally does. And would you say, I, I think I know the answer, but do you say, do you think CFOs play an important role in integration? Yeah, I think they're critical. Again, the modern CFO is so strategically and operationally important that when you go through something so complicated, they kind of cover so many different functions and integration. I think the CFO is in a great place to help to drive that integration. Often the CFO is co-responsible, if not responsible for the whole integration per se. Clearly, it takes so many different functions to connect and kind of work in the best possible way, ensuring that we get the results from the acquisition and integration that we targeted for the, for spending the money and investing the, the investor's money into that transaction. As a CFO, you're uniquely positioned to see the full company, and therefore your role in integration is, is totally very, very important. So let's shift gears a, he- a bit here and talk about globalization, expanding globally, expanding overseas. I work with a lot of SaaS founders, finance teams, and no longer is it maybe just one entity in the US selling to US customers or maybe in Europe selling to European customers. Now you see established in Europe coming to the US, US and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And and it's kind of new territory here, and that's what you guys do. So really curious, how would you advise finance leaders, CEOs, founders who are looking to make that first step globally overseas? Like, what, what should they consider? And you mentioned frameworks. Is there a framework they should roll through to properly expand overseas? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Look, I mean, I think that as you expand your company, if you're in a country where the market is big, like in the U.S., you don't automatically think about global expansion. But as you pick up pace and structure and you see the opportunity, you want to take advantage of the opportunity. You don't want to leave it behind. And I think you need to think about that two ways. One is the expansion in new markets to expand and acquire more customers there. And the other one is expanding your talent pool, your talent base, you know, and that allow you to 
hire the best talent you can find globally, sometimes even more efficient and flexibly than if you try just to hire in your own country. I mean, you can imagine hiring an engineer in a state in the US versus some other countries, more Middle East or, or mm-hmm. other places as very different economics. So I think it's it's a matter of thinking what opportunity are for an expansion. So what is the real ability of your company to provide services or products that a global audience is willing to acquire and, and take advantage of? But also a matter of thinking about what are the opportunities to expand your, your talent pool efficiently. And the way we're doing that is, uh, is unique, right? Because we allow you as a CFO, as a CHRO or CTO in a role, as a client, to think about acquiring that presence without having to go through the whole complexity of compliance, legal entity setup, uh, understanding the local HR regulation mm-hmm. requirements. And we give you a, a faster process, almost with a click. And in a few days, you are able to kind of get there and, and basically expand your, your presence. Okay. So say a SaaS founder, executive CEO board, like, hey, let's expand here. So you're offering your SaaS product, lets them do that, but also they can stay compliant with the local laws, regulations, taxes, whatever they might need to consider that they would never know just because they don't live there. Correct. If you want to do it yourself, you need to kind of figure out, okay, well, I need to get an entity. I need to kind of get hire someone. There's already a step that is difficult if you don't have any anyone on the ground. You can get some consultant to help you, but then clearly you start to become expensive. And you need to kind of figure it out in many different areas. Is payroll, is HR. You know, clearly, people are hired at contracts in different countries very differently. Let's think about some countries in, in my motherland, in like Italy or Europe in general. And in the U.S., very different labor relationship and markets and flexibility or not. And then on top of that, you have the reporting. So you have, if you have a legal entity, you start to have in presence there from a tax standpoint, you need to do tax return and everything else. So we allow to simplify the whole process. And by the, even if you want to have your own entity, we can still provide you a lot of level of expertise and support and even the ability from going back to the SaaS point, a technology to help you to manage your global talent pool in a consistent way, not having to kind of figuring out how to do that in Italy, how to do it in Brazil, how to do that in Singapore or in Germany mm-hmm. or places and track each one of these countries separately. We pull out it together in a much more simplified version yeah. and no matter the level of, ex- to the extent you want to have your own or leverage our infrastructures. Yeah, so it sounds like you've taken something that's overwhelming and very complex and just created that SaaS product to simplify that to yeah, simplify that journey for overseas expansion. That's right. And then Globalization Partners recently released a report where you gra- gathered some data, surveyed CFOs and gathered some great data there. So really curious, what were the top findings and top concerns maybe or issues that CFOs are facing around the world right now from that report? Yeah, and it was a great report that the company has been doing regularly. And it was our fourth annual global CFO survey. And it always brings new perspective about what financial leaders worldwide are thinking. So it's quite interesting. And the survey this time as well affirmed that the factors that we'll expect at the top of mind are there. So inflation, rising wages, like macroeconomic uncertainty, tight labor markets, supply chain disruption, geopolitical affairs are all having an impact. So people are concern or cautious about that. Uh, on the other side, I was a bit surprised that despite these global challenges, the CFO remain, CFOs remain quite bullish on, uh, on growth with a particular focus on international expansion. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe surprise is not the right word. I was pleasantly seeing that coming up as an important point. In fact, 83% of the surveyed CFOs said that their long-term plans include still expanding to new countries. 
credit capture international market share is a priority for CFO and businesses, as it should be, as you mentioned before, Ben, the opportunities to expand your presence in different territories beyond your home country. And I'm not talking about only US, I'm talking about many different countries, including EMEA or, or APAC or Latin America. For them to expand is an opportunity to continue to be significant. The majority of CFOs we surveyed also said that retaining talent is a top concern. And uh, as a result, clearly companies are offering more flexibility to employees. Uh, we, all, we all know about the remote first work situation and hybrid work strategies are top of mind for many of us, many organizations. And they're also considering options like expanding benefit and work arrangement, as well as creating geographically agnostic workplaces where it makes sense. And then again, it offers us as a GP as an, an interesting opportunity because helping people to navigate through the complexity of what that means is quite important. I, as you probably know, as you well know, I mean, to have a person working in New York since yesterday and decide to work from San Francisco or from France or Germany or Italy for three months has some implication that as an employer need to stay on top of. So we have to think about that as well. In general, the good news, I think, is that CFOs are taking a long-term view and they know that the data tells a story and within their story lies the opportunity. For me, when you see a situation like you see in the, in the, in the last six to nine months, it comes back to one of the things that I love the most about their role here at GP, that is that we help companies expand swiftly, smartly, and in a global compliant way. In times like these, for us, but in general, for every CFO, is a chance to turn disruption into opportunity, and that's always a great chance. Yeah, so some great data there. So top concerns, inflation, rising wages, labor shortage, retaining talent, but also long-term bullish on growth, and then also international growth. And I'm curious, say a platform like yours and thinking about global expansion, say here in the U.S., say my SaaS company, we're having trouble finding workers, please, qualified staff. So mm -hmm. would platforms like yours like enable or facilitate like labor arbitrage opportunities? Or is that still out there where, hey, I can't find workers here. Let me find a talent pool elsewhere that's qualified, does great work. So there's opportunities still out there for some sort of labor arbitrage. Totally. There are many of there. I mean, it's, it's, uh, frankly, it's funny because I started to do that when I was at GE back in the days when we launched Jampact and other solutions. The COE, where you kind of look with international footprint, where it's best to hire talent in terms of access, availability, and even cost structure. I think that that evolved fairly. Sometimes the differential is not as much anymore, but there are many other new places, many other new countries coming up. A lot of these you know, up-and-coming countries has been smart in investing in a in, in education, so they have a very qualified workforce. And it's good for anyone, any CFO, any company to kind of have the ability to access that, access that and assess that, even just you know, as a potential step and see the opportunities. But you mentioned a case, especially in technology, that is quite difficult. It's not as easy to kind of find talent anymore available. If you just look at your own home country, often, or the state where you are headquartered or mainly based. So having the ability to access talent on a broader basis that easily and by the way, also in a safe environment, if you think about a lot of up and coming and growing companies that are backed by investors that want to have, they invest in the growth, in the management team, in the opportunity, and they want to also have the ability to, to rely on a compliance, stable infrastructure. Well, we help them, all of their company potentially can benefit from joining or coming with us to kind of explore these opportunities because we give peace of mind in terms of getting the ability to kind of build this infrastructure, accessing this talent in a, in a proper way, in a safe way. 
Mm-hmm. And the, I'll put you on the spot a little bit here, but do you think kind of days of old where it's just one entity, employees in one country, do you, especially we're in SaaS where we can have right global customers everywhere. So you think eventually it'll just be so commonplace where you go to work for a SaaS company, whether it's maybe 20 million or hundred million, and they're going to have operations in different countries. I think it's totally the case. I mean, I think that with all the craziness going on in the last few years, people realize that you don't have to be constantly in the same next to each other in the same office to kind of be productive at work and kind of help the company to, to get to the right level. Sometimes that is helpful. So there's always, we're helping to foster an environment where people still get in contact and in touch on, a, on an individual basis. But the ability to kind of operate in a more expanded basis and optimize the opportunity, frankly, even providing your employees that ability to kind of manage their life with more flexibility, still delivering a very good quality and high level is something that now is with us. And I think the last few years accelerated that transition, maybe. I don't think it's something that's going to go back. I think it's something that everyone tasted and felt like is a good way to manage your life and your work life going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that can actually be very productive because it's also helping, going back to my point, having people working and living and coming from different backgrounds, in my experience for the last 20 plus years and before, and frankly, in today's environment, is, is always offering something more than having five people, 100 people who grew up in the same place. They think similarly um, about what and how to do work or how to solve problems. It, is, it sparkles more uh, thinking or different perspective that help to kind of get to the best possible solutions. And I know, Simone, we could talk for hours, but two two more questions here, I promise. But finance and accounting specifically, and now remote staff, remote work. And I think I think traditionally finance and accounting, we sat in our cubes, we sat next to each other. Hey, did you make this entry? Did you close this? Did you do that? Mm-hmm. And now, right, remote, which I think traditionally accounting has not been that way. So any tips and tricks, right? Because you're managing, you have experience with global workforce and even your mm-hmm. own team. So any tips and tricks for finance and accounting leaders out there now, that helps you facilitate, just stay closer to your workforce that now could be global? Yeah, I think it's communication, it's framework, and really inviting people and ensure that they're comfortable, proactively provide updates, ask questions, confirm where they stand, and or raise a flag that needs a solution or resolution from a broader team. So I think back in the days, I had team remotely, and we were consolidating everything in the U.S. and reporting out through the street, through the structure. Uh, having clarity on who does what by when, ensuring that people know that there is a, a sequencing of uh, actions that need to be taken and my delay impact downstream many other functions so that I need to be clearly very careful on that. And if I see some problem, I know I need to flag it because everyone is going to benefit or be in trouble because of that, I think is very important. So show the picture, the fuller picture you show to people, the more they feel best, the more they understand what they're doing has implication, the more they're actually focus and active on that one. And then coach them, explain them, really help people to understand how do they fit in this whole structure, always drive some incremental level of efficiencies of, of ownership that ultimately help and benefit the overall company. Yeah, no, great advice. And I think, so one, one final question here to wrap up, and it just seems like now CFOs, you look at, say, the CFO jobs back, I'm guessing there's going to be a bullet point on a lot of CFO job posting that say globalization experience just seems like that that's where it's going. So if there was one piece of advice and you great experience over your career, if you had one piece of advice to give to modern finance leaders, what would it be? It's a great question. I mean, I think that the main thing is to think strategically. The days when finance was strictly a back office function, kind of out of sight, out of mind, in the corner, are long gone, and they're not going to come. And we're not just historians. We report, we don't report past 
results anymore. We have to be forward-looking, prepared to engage and converse in all the aspects of the business. And uh, the numbers and the data are important to strive to develop, uh, strive to develop an operational perspective and, and let that help drive your decision-making that is important. Maybe a more, more holistic view of finance role in particular is very important for the more SaaS-oriented company and for the CFOs. It's more effective for a company if finance is a full integrated member of the team and a finance leader do well if they are motivated and driven to fulfill the broader company vision as, as the founder is or anyone else in the company. So be connected, be understand the business, really spend the time to understand the operational side, the strategic benefits, the market, and clearly the data and the numbers support and help you to kind of understand the, the implications of the decision-making processes, but ultimately really uh, be uh, a, a key driver because you're sitting on a seat, you know, CFO, we're sitting in seats that allow us to really see the whole company in a way that not many other people do. The CEO do, but they, don't, they shouldn't do at the same level uh, of details. And therefore, we're in a unique position to help CEOs and the board and our peers and the company overall to kind of be in a great place. Take advantage of the global opportunities, of course, is uh, top of mind. I came to this role globally from, I mean, originally from different countries, but ultimately it's really the opportunity to kind of continue to enrich the work environment with different perspective and ownership that is, uh, is very helpful for any company. Great. I love it. So think strategically, be a fully integrated member of the team. Don't just hide in your cube, right? In finance, stay connected, understand the operations and make sure you're looking at those global opportunities. So Really appreciate Simone sharing a little bit about Globalization Partners, the report you just released, and your journey over your very experienced finance career. So thanks for your time today. I appreciate it, Ben. It was great to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Leaders of Modern Finance podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at stamply.com slash leaders of modern finance. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe for updates on future episodes. This episode is brought to you by Stamply, the most powerful way to process and pay invoices. Stamply is the only accounts payable automation software that centers communication on top of the invoice so that accounts payable collaborates better with approvers, vendors, and anyone involved in purchases to quickly resolve issues and questions, resulting in 5x faster approvals. Contact us to see why users love Stamply and schedule a demo at stamply.com.